morning. Figured might have, what might have happened with Angus last Sunday is he got here and thought, well, this is that Sunday that guy said he was coming back. <laughs> he turned around and left. Got his dates mixed up. But I warn you all, I was coming back on the 20th, so you had your chance not to, not to be here. Do I? Yeah, there you go. Risk takers. Risk takers. We're going to start off today in Revelation 13, which we never got to last time, remember? Preacher's long-winded, so we never got back to... We're going to introduce a couple of guys, uh, two beasts in Revelation 13, and we're going to focus on the first beast, and then we're going to go back in Genesis and show how he was introduced way back in the book of Genesis, and that... uh, the guy, that, the first beast who we commonly refer to as the Antichrist, right? Should be a guy, a political leader coming on the scene that we all should be, uh, the whole world should be very familiar with what this guy is going to be like. But uh, even the uh, people of God, who's, who are God's people? Nation of Israel. Even the nation of Israel who he used to give us this book aren't going to be familiar with this guy, even though there's a wealth of information given in this book about this man, but uh, they'll be so unfamiliar with him that he'll even deceive many, even those of the elect at that time, won't he? But uh, that's because we don't, uh, people don't understand uh, this book, they don't spend enough time in this book, and they don't correctly interpret this book. But there is a wealth of information starting in Genesis given about this man. And we're living in the end times. Okay? We're living in the end times. That, that The man of sin, the Antichrist, the first beast in Revelation 13, probably already walking around on this earth. Okay? Because I don't think we have 20, 30, 40 years left before we are raptured out of here. <clears throat> Is what what starts what actually is God's starting point for the tribulation period? The signing of the peace treaty, right? Between whom? Nation of Israel and all those surrounding nations that want to kill them. Basically, right now, want to wipe them off the face of the earth. Like who'd we hear from this past week again? The denying the Holocaust ever happened? Ahmadinejad? So I guess all those pictures and our history books and all the uh, the knowledge of even those people that are still alive that were there, you know, he just denies all of it. Said, who made it up? The Zionists, as they call them. The Zionists made that all up. Just made it all up. Never happened. But what's Ahmadinejad want to do with the people of Israel? He wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. Along with the great Satan. Who's the great Satan? Israel's the little Satan. Who's the great Satan in his mind? United States of America. Wants to wipe us off the face of the earth. And of course we got conflicting, conflicting reports about whether or not they're that close to a nuclear weapon. I happen to believe they are. But our, the current administration in the United States doesn't think that they're 
that big of a threat. So we seem to be turning our back on all of our old, old allies we've had for years and trying to make friends with all the people that we used to be enemies with. So that's neither here nor there because in Daniel we're told who puts up rulers and takes them down. The Almighty God. So Obama didn't get in because us evangelical Christians didn't do a good enough job. Right? Because if you go by the Barna surveys, 58% of evangelicals voted for Barack Obama. Okay? So he doesn't just have his own party duped. Right? But... Daniel, we're told that the almighty sovereign God puts up rulers and takes them down, even to the lowliest, basest in the King James, lowliest of men. I would consider Ahmadinejad being a lowly man. But God's put him in power for a purpose, right? God's put Barack Obama in place for a purpose. He's going to use all these men to bring about his plans and purposes. As we're told in Romans eleven twenty nine, in the King James, it says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, right? Repentance, we know from the Greek, it's just a term that means to change your mind. Okay, the NASV that I read out of says the gifts and callings of God are, with, are irrevocable. Okay? God's not going to change his mind about his plans and purposes he set in motion before man ever came on the scene. Okay? <clears throat> and contrary to what most of the people that you ask, most believers you ask, you know, what, what was man created for? And they'll tell you to worship God and enjoy him forever. But in Genesis 1, 24 and 26, what does it tell us man was created for? To rule. Tells us twice in Genesis. Verse 24 and verse 26 of Genesis 1. You can turn there if you need to. But in the King James it uses a different term. But it's basically the Hebrew word rada. Which means to rule. It's translated rule in the Psalms. It's translated in most of the English. And, and in the King James the, the, the word dominion is used. But we have dominion. They were created... Man was created male and female, okay, in the express image and likeness of God. And we were created to rule, to replace who? Satan. Because years ago, before man, man's a latecomer in God's economy, is he not? All right? But man and, and God in the ages, ages long ago, in eternity past, in other parts of the scripture, said he spoke the ages into existence and all they contain, meaning all the planets and all the stars in his universes. And then he placed who over different parts of his universe to rule in his governmental economy? Angels. Angels are created beings. That's why they're called sons of God in the scripture. Who is also called a son of God? Adam, because Adam was a created being. Are we called sons of God in the scripture? No, we're sons of Adam. Okay? But angels were created beings. God placed different angels over different parts of his universe to rule 
And they had subordinate angels under him. And in eternity past sometime, after he spoke the ages into existence, he'd placed Lucifer over the earth, this part of God's universe. And Lucifer had subordinate angels underneath him. And then what happened to Lucifer? He got proud, didn't he? He said, I don't like this just ruling just this one planet and this one part of God's universe. I want to do what? He wanted to rule it all. Okay? He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to ascend up, take God's place. All right? He wanted it all. He didn't just like ruling just one part that God had given him. So when Lucifer fell, then we commonly call him now Satan. Okay? And how many of his angels fell with him? Third of them, right? Third of his angels fell with him. So then, that they haven't been replaced, right? And we see from the uh, type in the Old Testament of Saul and David, even though after what happened, we had two anointed kings living at the same time, did we not? But did, Saul, did David immediately take Saul's place? No. So did Saul, even after God had rejected Saul, he still continued to reign, did he not? Until David was ready to ascend the throne and take his place. Well, the same thing with, uh, with Satan. Even though man was brought on the scene back in Genesis, right? 6,000 years ago. You think Satan knew that? So what did he do? He came and tempted Eve and man fell. So then we were disqualified to rule. But see, what did God have in place from eternity past for man that he didn't have for angels? Redemption. That's why this whole book is a book of redemption for mankind. That was not put, God didn't have that in place for, for angels. But angels aren't created in the express image and likeness of God, right? Only man was. So God's a three-part being, correct? God's a trinity, so man is a trichotomy, tripart type being, Right? So I'm a trichotomist. I'm not a dichotomist. Okay. What are the three parts of man then? Body, soul, and spirit. Some people like to lump the spirit and the soul together, but you can't do that. Can't do that. Then you make us just the same as the animal kingdom, right? We're not. We're created in the express image and likeness of God. Let us make man in our image. Okay? So all three parts of man have to undergo salvation, do they not? So what died in the garden when Adam and Eve fell? Their spirit. Okay? They didn't immediately just fall over dead, so their body didn't die, right? They began to die. All right? The soul is the lifeblood of the body, so the soul didn't die. But the spirit died in the garden. But then God instituted, started redemption right then. What did Adam and Eve try to do to take care of their sin problem? Covered up with what? Fig leaves. Okay? There's a significance to that. Figs. Okay? Fig tree, fig leaves. But we're not going to delve into that or I won't get back to Revelation this morning.
right? But then what did God do? He clothed them with animal skins, which implies what? Heard the brother back there. Death and shed blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So that's what God's required since the back in Genesis, first chapters of Genesis. Death and shed blood. So God said, you know, your fig leaves, that's not, that's not going to do it. So he killed an animal. So he had death and shed blood, and then he covered him with animal skins. Also in Genesis, we had they were naked and were not ashamed. Then after they fell, after they sinned, they were naked and they tried to cover themselves up. So what's the difference between the two nakeds there? God is light, right? So if we're made in the express image and likeness of God, those two Hebrew words for naked in, Gen- in, in the early chapters of Genesis are two different Hebrew words. So when they were naked and were not ashamed, they had a covering of glory. A covering of light. Okay? Then after they fell, of course, they lost the glory. They lost that. So there's a different Hebrew word for they were naked and they went out and hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves. Different Hebrew word. They'd lost the covering of glory. Okay? Lost that covering of glory. But man was created to rule in the place of Satan, who fell. And then, of course, Satan intervened and caused man to sin, and we fell, and we were disqualified to rule. So this whole book is a book of redemption, where God's going to take man from that point all the way back to the point where he has... uh, those overcomers that are determined at the judgment seat of Christ who are going to rule and reign with him because in the book of Hebrews it says the ages to come were not going to be subject to angels. Okay? The ages to come, who's going to rule? Man. Because that's what God said. That's what we were created for back in Genesis and Romans eleven twenty nine says he's not going to change his mind about his plans and purposes. So man is going to rule. Of course, you'll have the God-man, right? <clears throat> and what three, remember, is a divine number in Scripture. So God's going to have how many three firstborn sons are going to rule in the ages to come, starting with the Messianic era? He's going to have three. He's going to have Jesus Christ, the only begotten, firstborn son. He's going to have the nation of Israel, and he's going to have the overcomers. Okay? He's going to have three firstborn sons rule. The overcomers, of course, after the adoption, when we get our glorified, we're adopted into a firstborn son status, and we're given our glorified bodies. Because remember, our spirit has to undergo salvation. When does that occur? At our moment of Belief, right? So I Acts 16, 30, and 31, that's the only place you find the, the saved in the question and saved in the answer. Remember, what, what's that the uh, account of? Remember the Philippian jailer, right? He comes running into who? 
Paul and Silas and asked them, What? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Well, before you get saved, you got to get lost. Is that what they told him? That's what I hear in a lot of pulpits. Before you get someone saved, you got to get them lost. <clears throat> what did Paul tell, tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you have to pray a particular prayer? Recite some creed or you had to believe on, the, on whom? On the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Okay? And believes it had, that had, and that, and our belief is on the Lord Jesus Christ and it's all based on his finished work. That's why it's apart from works so no man should boast, it says. But then the church has taken that, and we either try to front load the gospel with works, like Lordship Salvation, okay, that was put up by whom? John MacArthur, all right? You say, if you don't accept him as Lord right at the start, then you really didn't get saved at all. Okay, that's Lordship Salvation. You either front load the gospel with works, or you backload the gospel with works. You see a guy that believed, say, like I did when I was 10, and then I'm not walking like I should, so he's, what do you say? Well, that guy's never really saved in the first place, because he's not working works. Well, our, our spirit salvation isn't based on any of that. Okay? It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And believe in Acts 16, 31... 30 and 31 is in the aorist tense in the Greek, which is a completed past time. It's a point in time that has continuing effects and ongoing, but it's a point, one point in time past action. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. Then your soul has to go salvation, but that's an ongoing thing, Okay. Remember last time we said all believers are going to undergo soul salvation. Just hopefully a lot of, some of us are doing it right now in how we walk this pilgrim walk. Others will have to do it so as by fire. They will not get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. And they will undergo some form of punishment to refine them. Okay. And then they'll get their soul salvation at the end of the Messianic era. All right? And then our body also has to undergo salvation. What do we commonly call that? Our glorification. Remember, we have your justification of your spirit salvation. You have your sanctification in your soul salvation. And you have your glorification in your body salvation. All right? And the overcomers will get their glorified body to rule and reign with Christ during the Messianic era. I believe non-overcomers will not receive their glorified body till the end of the Messianic year after they undergo their refining by fire, by judgment, because they did not walk worthy of your calling during this pilgrim walk on earth. Okay? Anyway, all starts in Genesis for the believer. This is not... The Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay? 
Remember last time we said there's no such thing. I mean, everybody likes to call themselves that these days. But there's no such thing as a New Testament church. Okay. What does that mean? You don't like to go back and read the Old Testament? Or, or you know, it's all one complete revelation of Scripture. Anything that's new in the New Testament was first in the Old Testament. Unless you compare Scripture with Scripture, you can't come to the correct understanding of the Word of God. Okay, that's how you come up with Rome being the fourth part of the statue in Daniel, right? Or Rome being the fourth beast in Daniel 7. You don't compare Scripture with Scripture. What they do is they take secular history and they plop it on top of biblical prophecy and they say it fits. I had a person in our Sunday school class because I, I, you know, talked about that book by Rosenberg, Epicenter. I don't know if anybody in here has read that book, but that's a pretty interesting book because Joel's a little bit more on, in line with all the what's going on in the Middle East. Of course, we're coming from a Jewish background. But even Joel says, you know, we know from Daniel that Rome, there's going to be a revived Roman Empire in the tribulation. Well, no, there's not because it's not in Daniel. David Jeremiah in his book, What in the World's Going On, or whatever the title of it is. See, the first three parts of the statue and the first three beasts, we're told exactly what they are in Daniel, right? So then what they do is they say, we know from history that the fourth great empire was Rome. But is that how you interpret biblical prophecy? No. You don't take secular history and plop it on top of biblical prophecy and say, Okay, that, there you go. It fits. And if Rome's not in Daniel, it's not in Revelation. Okay? And the Pope's not the Antichrist. Okay, we're told in Daniel 8 where he comes from. What part of the world does the Antichrist come from? The Middle East. Parts of the, the, the area of the world that's mentioned in Daniel 8 encompasses parts of Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey... Those areas over there. So I believe that the Antichrist, from the teachings of Scripture, is going to come from the Middle East. He's going to be a Middle Eastern Islamic person. Okay? Islam is going to be the great ruling power in the tribulation period. Okay? Because what is Satan? He's the great counterfeiter. He's the great liar, is he not? Where did Islam come from? Whose brother? All right. Remember, Abraham had how many sons according to God? According to God, he had one, but he really had two who do, the, who do the Islamics, the Muslims accept? Ishmael, right? But who did God choose? Isaac, okay? He made that choice. See, Abraham decided to intervene with his wife and all, remember, in the thing, because they, they had never had any children. But yet God had promised him that all of his descendants would have all this land, Right? When he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. So they intervened themselves and said, man, we better help God out. 
right? So what did Sarah do? He said, you need to take your, our, my handmaid, Hagar, because God's, you know, I'm, I'm not having any children for you. So they tried to intervene and do it their, their own way, right? God rejected that. Then he supernaturally allowed Sarah to give birth at an old age and Abraham to be a father at a very old age. And Isaac was born. And Isaac is the one who the promises go through, not Ishmael. But see, the Muslims say that Christians and the the Jews have, they believe the Bible, but the Christians and the Jews have done what to the Bible? Corrupted it, distorted it. Okay? So they say their father is who? Abraham, right? But they say he gave all his stuff to Ishmael. Okay? Then who's the descendant of Ishmael? Who's the guy that started Islam? Muhammad. See, they trace Ishmael through down to Muhammad, and then they say all that stuff's given through Muhammad. Of course, so they have their own sacred text or whatever. And then there's just just been this split. And, of course, uh, there was even another choice made when Isaac had how how many sons? Two, right? They were actually twins, right? Who came out first? Who had the firstborn rights? Esau, right? Then Jacob came out doing what to Esau? He was a supplanter, remember? That's what his, word, his name means. He was holding on to his heel, grasping his heel. But then God made a choice. He said, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And the clay doesn't say to the potter, Why'd you make me this way, right? So we don't say, you don't sit around and say, well, why did you do that, God? He made a choice. He said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So then Abraham became a father. He's the father of the nation of Israel, right? But he was a father of many nations. So then who did God do the supernatural work through? when they brought the nation of Israel on the scene. Jacob. Remember, he did it through Jacob. Jacob's the one that wrestled with the angel of God. Remember? And he did that supernatural work through Jacob, and he created the nation of Israel who are not to be reckoned among the nations. Because in the first dispensation of mankind, he tried to do it through mankind, did he not? But then what happened with mankind? We were corrupt, okay? And Satan intervened, more than just with Adam and Eve. Remember when the sons of God left their proper abode and came down and cohabited with the daughters of men? Those were fallen angels, all right? Satan sent his fallen angels down here, and they cohabited, and he tried to corrupt the line that the who was going to come through? Jesus Christ the Redemptor that he was told about all the way back in Genesis 3. All right? Satan knows he's, he's going to be defeated. He knows he's coming. So then God intervened in the 10th generation from Adam with a guy named Noah. Did he not? And he said, 
this isn't going to, uh, this, you know, man, the man's so corrupt, so he wipes mankind off the face of the earth, and the only ones he spared, the remnant, was Noah and his three sons and their family, their wives. And he tried to start over again. But then, that didn't, didn't work. <clears throat> so then he created, supernaturally, the nation of Israel. And so the second dispensation you have is the dispensation of the Jews. And he tried to do it through the Jews, which he's... But then they were set aside. Remember after Daniel's 69 week, they were set aside because of their continued disobedience. Okay, So we're living in the dispensation of the church and the heavenly promises that were given to the nation of Israel. Remember, because Abraham has promised both heavenly and earthly blessings, correct? They're never going to lose their earthly blessings because in the Messianic era, they're going to rule. The Jews are going to rule from Jerusalem, and Christ is going to have a dual rule from his throne in the heavens with his overcomers and from David's throne in Jerusalem. And he's going to, the blessings are going to throw out through Israel to the rest of the nations during the Messianic era as they were supposed to do all the way back when he created the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But because of their unbelief, they've never risen to the place that they were supposed to as head of the nations. And they're dispersed amongst the nations now. And the regathering over there in the nation of Israel is not the prophesied regathering we see in the scriptures, because they're back there in unbelief. Correct? Let's jump into Revelation 13. A lot of pre- preface there, but I don't get to speak here that often. So, But I know you guys hear this type of preaching all the time. Revelation 13. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten crowns. That's another thing there. There's only two Greek words in the scriptures translated crown. One is Stephanos. The other is diadema. And in my translation, the NASV, that actually says he had uh, ten diadems on his head. The difference being a Stephanos is, is a victor's crown. Okay? But Stephanos is what to see the 24 elders wearing there in, uh, in Revelation 4 when they cast them, or 5 or 4 when they cast them at God's feet. And those are Stephanos because those are the 24 is representative of two thirds of the angels that did not follow Satan in his rebellion. So, under, um, unlike common teaching, those 24 elders in Revelation 4 are not a picture of the saints casting our crowns at God's feet. Revelation 4. We haven't got our crown yet at that point in time. All right? And I'm wanting to wear my crown, right? And rule and reign with who? Jesus Christ during the Messianic era. That's representative there in Revelation 4. The 24 is, because 12 is what? God's governmental number, correct? How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. So there's how many tribes of the nation of Israel? Twelve. How many disciples did Jesus Christ choose in the New Testament? 
12. Okay? Wasn't because it's just a good small group number that he could work with, you know. God has an affinity for types, and he has affinity for numbers in the Scripture. Okay? We talked about before. Three is a divine number, God's number. Six is whose number? Man's number, right? Seven is a number of completion in Scripture. So is ten, okay? Twelve is God's governmental number. Jacob had 12 sons, and there was 12 tribes of Israel. So if you compare Scripture with Scripture, 24 is just a representative number because God's, God's divine completion of his original government would show over this part of his universe where sin entered in the earth. Representatively, with Satan, there was 36 angels, okay, a grouping of angels, three sets of 12, okay? Now, obviously, that's just a type because, obviously, there was a whole lot more angels than that that were subordinate to Lucifer, correct? But we're talking about God's governmental number being 12. So, if you, like you say, there's a third of the angels fell with Satan, right? I know we didn't come in here for a math class, but if a third, a third of the angels fell with Satan, then how many, obviously, two-thirds did not fall, Correct? So if you take three sets of 12, three being as God's divine number of completion and 12 being God's governmental number, you'd come up with 36. So if a third of them fell, and representatively, 12 of them fell, correct? So then 24 of them, representatively, did not fall. And that's the elders you see in Revelation 4, if you compare Scripture with Scripture and do all the verses. So the 24 elders that get up and... Do what in Revelation 4? Cast their crowns at the God's feet. Why are they doing it at that point in time in Scripture? What has just occurred in Revelation 2 and 3? The judgment seat of Christ, right? You see the whole church, seven churches, the complete church. That gets away with your, does away with your partial rapture theorists, Okay. There were seven churches pictured there in Revelation, right? And you see in Revelation 2, Jesus Christ is doing what? He's walking, standing up. He's already stood up and he's walking amongst the seven candlesticks or the seven churches. And that's a picture of him in judgment, just the way he's pictured in the end of chapter 1, right? And where is he right now? Where is Jesus Christ right now? He's our high priest and he intercedes for us. So where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. So at the beginning of chapter 2 in Revelation, you see him standing and walking amongst the seven churches in judgment. So what has ended for Christ? His high priestly ministry is over. Okay? He has stood up. And he's walking amongst the churches. So, you know, contrary to most popular teaching, even teaching I've heard in my church, the first few chapters of Revelation are not a picture of Christ's high priestly ministry amongst his churches. It can't be. All of the picture of Christ in Revelation 1 has to do with judgment. Right? Because as he first came as a prophet, remember Christ had three three ministries also. He came as a prophet. Now he's our high priest. 
And then he's going to be our great king priest, okay? But he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us, us saints. So you either take uh, advantage of John, 1 John 1, 9, right? At this point in time, as we're walking this pilgrim walk, we either confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you take advantage of his high priestly ministry now, because in Revelation 2, it's too late. Okay? He's no longer seated at the right hand of the Father. He has stood up, and he's pictured. And where a servant, like he came the first time, remember when he taught his disciples to be a servant? Where did he have his belt at that point in time? Around his waist. Why did they wear their belt around their waist in the old eastern garb that they wore? Because when they got up to be a servant, they would pull their the robes and their tunics up and tuck them into their to their belt. Where is his belt pictured in Revelation one? He's girt about the breast with his belt. Who wore their 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 paps it's called girt across his paps in the old English. Who wore their belts in such a fashion as that? Judges. Okay? His eyes are what in Revelation 1? Flame of fire. Okay? His feet were like burnished bronze. Okay? All that's a picture of judgment. Okay? And then he starts judging. He, but what are we going to be judged on in all future judgments? Your past belief? No, he says, I know your works. When he judges the Gentiles at the end of Revelation in Matthew 25 or 26 there at the last part of the Olivet Discourse, what does he tell them? They're judged on their works, about how they treated who during the tribulation period? His brothers. Okay? They're not judged on their past belief. Even at the great white throne judgment at the end of the Messianic era, what are the unbelievers judged on? Their works. You say, well, why? I don't know. Okay? Deuteronomy 29, 29. God chooses to keep some things unto himself. Okay? But John three seventeen it says, those that don't believe. Remember the John three sixteen. Everybody knows that verse, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have Everlasting life. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Okay? So their unbelief is not brought up again at the great white throne. You say, well, why does God need to judge them on their works? Uh, he's, he made that choice to do that. But all future works, if you're going to bring up their unbelief at a future time, then you have to go back and bring up our belief to the judgment seat of Christ. But that's not done, because that's all based on Christ's finished work. Our future judgment is based upon how we walk this pilgrim walk on this earth, our works, and whether or not you're an overcomer or not an overcomer. But the beast is shown wearing ten diadems, so he's already, he's already been crowned, he's already currently ruling. The 24 elders 
are shown wearing Stephanos in Revelation 4 because they are not currently ruling, right? They decided not to follow Satan in his rebellion. So they were crowned rulers in time past, but they're not currently ruling those 24 elders. So they're pictured as wearing a Stephanos. And they take off a Stephanos in Revelation 4 and cast it at God's feet. And the reason they do that is that's the first time in history since the fall and man's fall that who's just been decided at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. In Revelation 2 and 3, the bride's been revealed. The overcomers have just been revealed. And so now you have that first time in history where man is getting ready, the overcomers are getting ready to ascend the throne and rule with Jesus Christ. So they get up and take, the 24 elders get up and take their crowns off and cast them at God's feet. Then where's, how, where's, where's Christ's crown going to come from? Satan, right? Satan's still the crown ruler. And him and his third of, his, the, third of the angels that fell that are ruling with him from the heavens. But how is God, Jesus Christ going to get those crowns? He's going to take them by force. Okay. So then you have that all the crowns back together that were representative of what Satan and his subordinate angels currently, or Lucifer was current, and his subordinate angels were currently were given way back when he was first placed over the earth, and and the twenty four elders are going to willingly get up and cast their th- because they did not follow Satan in their in his rebellion. So they're going to willingly get up. You see in Revelation four after the judgment seat of Christ, the determination is made there. And cast their crowns at God's feet for the bride, the overcomers to wear. And then Satan, uh, Jesus Christ has to go and take Satan's crown and the crowns from the other third of the angels that followed in his rebellion and take them from them. And then you'll have all the crowns back together that were given to Lucifer and his subordinate angels way back in eternity, in time past, when God put them over this. And then Jesus Christ and the overcomers are going to wear those crowns while they rule and reign in the coming messianic era. But we have the beast shown wearing diadems here in Revelation 13, which means he's, a, he, he's the same guy that came out riding a horse in Revelation 6, right? This is the same guy. In Revelation 6, he came out conquering and to conquer, it says, Correct? Well, now he's already got what he wanted. Because Satan's, uh, Satan's going to give unto him his throne and his power and all of his authority, correct? And now, now the, uh, the beast is shown wearing tent diadems. So he's, he's already ascended to his power. This is the midpoint of the tribulation. And he's, uh, he's, he's going to rule. So it says... And his mouth, he spoke, uh, it was the mouth of a lion in verse 2. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. He goes, I saw one of his heads that had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Okay. And then there's a second beast introduced, but it says he comes up from the, the land, right? What is the, uh, the be- first beast came out of the sea What's, uh, what's the, that's representative of in the scriptures? The Gentile nations, right? And sea and earth and land are both uh, from the same Greek word, ge, 
But you, uh, what two people groups are you going to have left on earth during the tribulation period? Just the Gentiles and the Jews, okay? So then the second beast is said to come up, rise up out of the land. Well, the sea would be part of the land, right? And they're both from the same Greek word, but since there's only two people groups left on, uh, on earth during the tribulation, and the sea was used representative of where the first beast came up out of, the Gentile nations, he's going to be a Gentile, he's going to be a Middle Eastern, we see in Daniel 8. Then the second beast comes up out of the land. Well, what do you think that people group, what, what people group is that talking about? The Jews, the only other people group left on earth. So the second beast we commonly refer to as the false prophet. So the first beast, the Antichrist, is going to be a Gentile. He's going to be a Middle Eastern. He's going to be an Islamic, probably the Islamic Messiah that Ahmadinejad is wanting to hasten the return of, right? The second beast, the false prophet, is going to be a Jew, Okay? How many false prophets did they listen to in the Old Testament? Okay. So Satan's going to rise up a false prophet out of the land of Israel, and he's going to cause all people to worship who? The first beast, the Antichrist. Quickly jump back to Genesis chapter 10. So you have the beast, the Antichrist is a Gentile, the false prophet is a Jew. Go back to Genesis chapter 10. And we'll see in a type, real quickly here, I know we're running out of time. I don't want the roast to burn. We're not eating roast, are we, honey? Okay, well, I'm okay then. I don't have any roast. Genesis chapter 10 shows a new, new sequence of events that follow seven chapters. Genesis chapters 3 through 9, Okay. The future man of sin is introduced all the way back in Genesis chapter 10. Okay? Let's just read that real quickly. <clears throat> Jump all the way down to verse uh, 6. Obviously, Noah had how many sons? Three sons. Shem, Ham, and Joseph, Japheth. Okay? Shem was the only one that was said to have a God, right? What line of people came through Shem? The Jews, the nation of Israel. So they're the only nation that has a God, okay? There's really no such thing as a Christian nation, okay? Now, we've, America may have been found on Christian principles back at one time, but there's no such thing as about have, uh, being a Christian nation, Okay? The only Christian nation would be Christians themselves because we're the new nation in Christ, right? But there's no such thing about America. It was a Christian nation, okay? Because the Shem was the only one that was said to have a God. So the Israelites, the Jews, are God's people. So in the Old Testament, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It's specifically saying, Blessed is Israel, Okay? Because Israel is the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay? Just another way of saying blessed is Israel. And even though a lot of churches, a lot of people, you know, a lot of preachers, you've heard them, you know, make a secondary application, talk about well, if, if the nation of Israel, uh, America would repent and turn back to God, 
then he would bless them because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, obviously, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. So I do believe that America has received blessings through the years because we always supported Israel. That's not the case anymore, okay? This administration, and you ask the Israelites themselves, okay? They have any faith in this administration that they're going to back them? No, they do not. And how God's going to bring all this together and have a peace treaty signed out of all this, I don't know, but he's God, okay? And it's going to happen, all right? But I do believe that Israel is going to strike against Iran because they're not going to wait for everybody else to do it. They've never waited in the past to get help, okay? So what that starts and what occurs after that and how we end up with people sitting down at a table and signing a peace treaty, I don't know, but we're going to be gone, okay? Because the sign of the peace treaty starts the tribulation, and we're not going to be here at that time. But that doesn't mean we're not going to see some horrific stuff going on, okay? But Genesis 10 follows seven chapters. You see in chapters 3 and 4 of Genesis, we have teachings surrounding salvation by grace. All the way back on Genesis, okay? Then in chapter 5, we have teachings about the rapture. What occurs in chapter 5 in Genesis? Who's raptured? Enoch, right? He was translated and did not see death because he had this testimony. He did what? He pleased God. Who is Enoch a type of in the Old Testament? The church, believers. He's raptured out before what occurred in chapters 6 through 8. You have teachings surrounding the Great Tribulation in 6 through 8. What, what's the type in the Old Testament in chapters 6 through 8? We have Noah, who was God came to and said he, was, uh, he's, he declared uh, Noah to be righteous before him. And he told Noah to do what? Build a big boat. Okay. How long did it take Noah to build that boat? Huh? Over a hundred years. I heard the brother back there. Okay. So what was Noah doing while he was building the boat? He was preaching to those around him, right? What were those around him probably doing? Mocking him. No, had it ever rained? No. But Noah was preaching, telling the people around him that what was coming? Judgment's coming. Okay? And God gave them 130 years, I believe, around there. Noah was building the boat. The opportunity to do what? Repent. He preached that judgment was coming, and he built a big boat. And then judgment came. So we see that's a type of the great tribulation where a remnant of the nation of Israel in the great, is going to be born through the tribulation period, right? Just like Noah is representative of the nation of Israel being born, just a remnant, being born through a tribulation in the past, a judgment. The coming judgment, the tribulation's main purpose is to bring the place... Bring the nation of Israel to a place of repentance. Okay? 
Then in chapter 9 of Genesis, you have teachings about a new beginning. All right? What's that representative of or a type of? The Messianic era, right? So you have Genesis 3 and 4 are teachings of salvation by grace. You have Genesis 5 as teachings about the rapture, which is translation of Enoch. Genesis 6 through 8 is the teachings about the great tribulation, where you have Noah and his family born through a judgment in time past. And then Genesis chapter 9 is talking about a new beginning. All right? And what does he tell Noah and his sons to do? Same thing he told Adam to do, right? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Okay, a new beginning. And he institutes corporal punishment too. Which most of the people in the United States, most states don't like anymore. But he said, whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. God gave that to Noah and his sons because they were going to have to start a human government in a new beginning. That was the first thing he told them. First of all, don't eat. all animals were given unto them, which Peter doesn't want to hear, right, for food. But they couldn't eat an animal with what in it? His blood. The life, blood is the lifeline. And then he also told them, as in, in far as human government, whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Capital punishment. <laughs> All right. So then in chapter 10, you see Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and, and you have the story of uh, Noah plants a vineyard. It's probably not the first time he'd done that, right? And then he did what? He drank of the wine and became drunk. Okay. Was Noah punished for that? That's another story unto itself. What was different about the wine he drank then than the wine he drank before the flood? Correct. Fermentation process. So Noah didn't know that. Noah didn't know. He didn't understand all that. But what had been taken away? The canopy of water. So what happens to people's life spans after the flood? They greatly reduced. But Noah plants a vineyard. He doesn't understand that the, you know, the, the fruit of the vine that he makes is going to go under, undergo a fermentation process. He's drinking, drinking his wine, becomes drunk. And then what does one son's son do? Which son did it? Ham came in and saw his father's nakedness. So what did Shem and Japheth do? He ran out to tell them, Dad's drunk and he's laying in his tent. And they took coverings and went in backwards and covered up their father. So then what did Noah pronounce upon Ham? A curse, okay? Shem was the only one that said to have a God, and he placed a curse on the Hamitic line. A servant of servants, the lowliest of servants shall you be. A slave. Did he, has he ever taken that curse off of the Hamitic line? No. And in Proverbs it says, the earth trembles under three things or whatever. And the first one it says is, a servant or a slave when he 
rules. <clears throat> okay? And he said he was going to bless Japheth, but Japheth still had to go to the tents of who? Shem. All right? So right then in Genesis, Shem and then the line through Shem, which is the Israelites, were put at the head of the nations. And then later on, God tells them again, they're supposed to be at the head of the nations. And all the earth, the Gentile race, is supposed to be blessed through Israel. And that has never been like God intended it to be. It got close during the reigns of David and Solomon, but it was still never what God intended it to be. And, of course, now the Jews have been set aside for a time. And the heavenly promises that were given to the Jews are now given unto the overcomers, the church. Okay? So then we see another thing I named Nimrod introduced in the following verses who comes through the line of Ham. Okay? And what had God told Noah and his sons to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So what is Nimrod? And he goes out to conquer. And he conquers peoples. And then what did he try to do? He has the Tower of Babel. Right? And what's he trying to do? Keep everybody together so he can rule them. Just an opposite of what God told Noah and Nimrod, his name in the Hebrew comes from the verb, Hebrew verb Nimrod with an H on the end of it, which means to rebel, revolt. Okay? So we have a rebel here introduced in chapter 10, right after the new beginning in chapter 9, which goes back to that tribulation period in chapter 6 through 8. And he's going to expound on that. God does that often in his word. He gives you... A, general overview of a period of time then following chapters he goes back and fills in some details so now we have Nimrod introduced in chapter 10 his name means rebel alright he goes out he's said to be a mighty hunter before the Lord but that doesn't mean he hunted game in the field because the Chaldean proverb said he, he increased in wickedness and hunted men when it's talking about that ver those verses right there so Nimrod, just like the future man of sin, goes out in Gen uh, Revelation 6 to conquer and, and, and to conquer, right? And that's what Nimrod did. And then he built some cities, and then he ruled over those people, right? And then he, just in the opposite of what God told the people to do was to, to fill the earth, he wanted to keep everybody together, and he builds this Tower of Babel. But then what happens again? God intervenes back then and does what? confuses their languages and makes them scatter out over the whole earth. Okay. Also in the book of Esther, you have Haman is a type of Antichrist. You can read through that. It's a short book. Not that very many chapters long. The Assyrian Pharaoh that came in that knew not Joseph in the Old Testament. Right? Remember that story of the nation of Israel? And they went down to Egypt because of the famine. And then uh, Joseph rose to power, right? And then it says there that uh, another pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph. Well, that's when the Assyrians went in and conquered the nation of Egypt. And there was an Assyrian who rose to be pharaoh, and he knew not Joseph. And then, what? of course, he put all the Israelites under bondage and slavery. 
So we have all these types in the Old Testament. Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist. Haman in the book of Esther is a type of the Antichrist. The Assyrian pharaoh in Egypt, the story of the Israelites in Egypt, and how God goes in there. And there's many, many other types in the Old Testament where this man of sin who's currently walking around on this face of the earth right now, okay? Because we are living in the end times. And we don't have that much time left. So like I said, the last time I was here to speak, I, I get butterflies in my stomach just because we, sh- we know what's going to happen, right? We know what's going to happen. And there's so much information given in the Old Testament, and I know we didn't cover a lot of it, but we can't really exhaust that type of study in one message. But so much information given in the Old Testament about this man we call the Antichrist Yet he's going to rise to power here in this near future and deceive the masses. Because people don't spend time in this book. They don't compare scripture with scripture. We know what kind of man he's going to be. We know what part of the world he comes from. So then how then should we live? Right? We want to be one of the overcomers, right? We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant at the judgment seat of Christ, not depart from me. Correct? Thank you for your attention. I always appreciate Alan giving me the opportunity to come and speak. Alan actually text, uh, texted me on my cell phone, which I don't bring to church, but my wife picked it up at the house where we left. He sent me a little text this morning, told me he was praying for me. So I guess he got permission from Janet to... On their vacation, I got to text Jeff. Because if he texts as slow as I do, at least took him like five minutes to do that text. You know, so I guess you gave him permission to do a text this morning. Uh, but to use this modern technology. But that's just another thing that's so amazing is the prophecies in the Old Testament. When you hear about what's going to happen in Revelation, and of course, even 30 years ago, they were like, well, how is all the world going to see like the uh, War of Gog and Magog, you know? Well, what do we have now that they didn't have 30, 40, 50 years ago? So you got the Internet. You got all the satellite television. We see stuff's going on. Like over in Iran when they were writing in the streets the other day when Ahmadinejad was trying to give his little, and they have their little scheduled parade where they have a certain number of people supposed to parade through the streets that are supported the government, and then all those uh, young people filtered in there again and started uh, chanting out anti-government stuff. And we see it all right there on television before our eyes nowadays. You know, they say, well, how, how are the two slain witnesses going to be seen by everybody in the world? Because of all the technology that we have. It's an exciting time for us to live in. Appreciate y'all's attention. Have a blessed Sunday. And let's... Uh, Let's all strive to live according to the calling that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you.